Hey, welcome to the Presidio Perspective. I am your host, Dustin Tembrook, Certified Financial Planner. Uh, so glad that you have tuned in once again to hear our perspective on what's going on in today's markets. So lots of news, of course, the recession watch, what the stock market's doing, inflation, interest rates, all of the above. So uh, we'll get it going. Glad you're here. Well, we continue our wild ride here for 2023. We are coming into the final stretch, fourth quarter, about two months left in the year. And let's kind of take a look at how everything is shaping up right now. And a bit of a sell-off in the stock market recently in the last couple of years. Rates have seemed to kind of stabilize, but are, are reaching 40-year highs. Um, and so let's kind of look at the data and see what's happening right now. I mean, we got some new, new inflation numbers are coming out. There's like 60 or 600 different inflation numbers that, that are being published constantly, but we're at about three and a half percent, right? So about three and a half percent inflation. Of course, we all know the Fed's target is two. So inflation seems to be coming down, but the job isn't done yet as far as the Fed is concerned. And of course, they have another meeting in November, starting in the top of November, where they're going to make their decision on what to do with rates. Um, so it was thought that maybe they'll pause. Maybe there's one more rate hike. Let's see. We don't really care that much, whether it's another quarter basis point rate hike, but the market seems to care a lot. The 10-year treasury is around 4.9%, meaning today you can loan money to the U.S. government, the, the, the most credit-worthy borrower ever in history, and certainly that exists today. You can loan them money, and they will guarantee to pay you all of your money back, plus about 5% in guaranteed interest payments. So when's the last time you had a deal like that? I mean, you'd have to be investing in your in the early 80s or, or something like that to kind of see these deals, or certainly uh, going back pre-2007, I guess. Um, 30-year mortgages are over 8%, around 8%. I mean, it's just crazy. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that and the opportunity there. But did you think you were going to see 8% mortgages here in 2023? If I went back to you a couple of years ago, which for many of you I did, uh, did you did you decide to pay down that 2 3% mortgage? Look at where they are today. So let's talk about the opportunity there and how we want to think of that. Uh, and then the personal savings rates have declined. That's another number that came out, something we've been talking about, right? We had all the stimulus and COVID, bank accounts surged, personal savings rates surged, credit card balances declined, and all that stimulus that was pumped into the system, right? We, we call it in economics, the M2 money supply. I won't get into that and bore you, but that's something that we do track and we see it is falling and it's actually in a decline right now um, as all that stimulus is being spent and worked through uh, in our government accounts, as well as corporate, corporate accounts um, and personal consumers. So savings rates are declining, credit card balances are increasing, defaults are increasing, etc. So we see that still a very strong, resilient consumer with a great job but at ah, wages aren't really going up right which is kind of an issue they've gone up maybe two percent while inflation's gone up three and a half so 
People are making less money in real terms over the last year, um, but still they're out there spending. But when we've looked at the data before, we know the consumers will continue to spend into a recession. Historically, that's usually what's happened, right? A lot of Americans will stop spending just because they can't spend, right? It's not because they're making long-term financial decisions on their purchases. It's because the credit cards decline. They're out of a job. There's no money in the bank, et cetera. That's when a lot of the spending kind of has to stop. So something we'll continue to watch. Something that really interesting happened here in the last week of October when we look at the stock market in indexes. And so we have been seeing declines in the stock market recently. And so something that traders look at. So you might be familiar with a 50-day moving average and a 200-day moving average. And this is going to show you what the average of the stock market price is over some period of time. So the 200-day moving average is a really important one that traders track. And it's going to basically give you the value of the stock market over the last 40 weeks. So here's the average value of the stock market. So here, I'll pull up a chart here. This is from White Charts. This is the S&P 500 at its current price over the last three years compared to its 50-day simple moving average and its 200-day simple moving average. And you can see that the value today, the 200 moving average and the 50-day are all pretty close. But we did see a pretty big breach of that 200-day moving average. And so that's what a lot of traders, like a lot of traders will say, nothing good happens in the stock market below the 200-day moving average. And it's just a data point that they'll look at. And essentially, the theory is if it's below the 200-day moving average, we might be in a downtrend. If it's above the 200-day moving average, we would generally in an uptrend in the stock market. So we've seen this downtrend. Now, going below the 200-day, that's something, again, that traders watch to say, oh, this this might be a more persistent downward trend. The big one that traders watch is called the death cross. And that's when we're watching this 50-day moving average in orange. And if that drops below that purple line, which is the 200-day moving average, uh, you can see you know, where this happened before. So out of COVID, we were certainly in an uptrend. Uh, the stock market was above, well above its 200-day moving average, well above its 50-day moving average. And this, again, is when we are generally pretty bullish on the stock market. You can see in early 2022, it breached the 200-day, uh, and then finally in that death cross happened um, around March of 2022, we kind of went in this downward trend. You see, again, an upward trend when that orange line passes the 200-day, and that's typically something that traders, I think they call it the golden cross, like, hey, this is time when the good times are going to happen, the stock market should be in an uptrend, and that's kind of where we've been this year. So... Noticing a little change in this data, uh, something that we're watching, um, but certainly all of these are very close together. Um, <clears throat> if, if the market stays below that, you know, 4,300 mark of that 50 day, that, that average is going to keep coming down. So something we're watching, um, you know, and, and something that if you are tactical or short term thinking in some of your investments, good, good to, pay attention to this. We typically encourage investors to be long-term and don't worry too much about these averages, but just something, a data point to note. The next one is a lot of people have a lot of those those NASDAQ stocks, right? All those MAGA 7, you know, the, the Magnificent 7, you know, and, you, and you're looking at very different kind of results coming in this earnings season between companies like Google or Microsoft or Amazon, et cetera. But if you look at those, you know, this is also breached as 200 day moving average when we look at the NASDAQ. Okay. So that, that 50 day is a lot higher, has a lot 
uh, further to go to, to reach that quote unquote death cross. But, you know, you can see a similar trend here um, in, in those that more growth oriented cycle. So, you know, again, almost you know, same trend as the S&P going back over over the last three years. You know, you saw this real bullish kind of market in 2021, turned bearish, dropping below the 200-day early in, Jan- in January 22, stayed well below that. And then again, you kind of saw this golden cross where the 50-day breaches that 200-day or, or goes above, where it signals a, a good trend in the upside. And so here we are coming down on the other side. So Again, just a data point that we're watching to kind of know, yes, we've seen the decline in stocks over, you know, since this summer. And is it going to continue? So pretty strong moves uh, here in October. Again, we're watching um, to, just to see kind of where the trends of the market is. I mean, when we look at the stock market, you know, you, there's a lot of cases to say that, you know, maybe it's about right. Uh, maybe the value of the S&P or, or the value of your companies could be correct. It's, it's really hard to know. There's a lot of data to say that the price levels are still trading at really high multiples and premiums, especially when you look at those really big growth companies, those top seven companies that are fetching, you know, 30 times forward estimates on their earnings. So they're going to have to continue to continue to grow, continue to earn. That's what investors are are counting on uh, where a lot of the market uh, on the other side is trading at much more reasonable prices. So when we see another uptrend in the market, there might be a lot more breadth the next time we go on the upside, uh, meaning more companies than just seven should experience an upward trend of the market. But right now, we would argue that the risk is to the downside, certainly in equities. So, you know, in 2024, the market is forecasting earning share growth, right, to be about uh, 240 a share on the S&P. Um, this year, we're going to probably come in around 215. So so we're certainly seeing pretty big growth. I mean, and, and if you go back pre-COVID, uh, we were about 180. Okay, so in 2019, the S&P earned about $180 per share. Uh, we're now forecasting 240 pretty big move on the upside again all that stimulus all that all that cash that was pumped into the system has gone into companies as we've bought in goods and services and a lot of that has gone to the bottom line a lot of that has gone into government spending actually uh when you kind of look at the flow of that money um you know it's interesting the we borrowed money from our children you know um and and things like ppp loans and if you kind of looked at what the government did you know we, we borrowed all this money from our kids you're gonna have to pay it back and then what the government did is they paid it you know to employers well what happens to employment payments well social security comes out medicare comes out income taxes come out you know a good 50 cents of that dollar goes into government spending on that ppp loan so it was really funding half was to help Americans, businesses, the other half was to fund government spending during that time. But here we are with $34 trillion of debt and going to have to pay it back. So we'll talk about taxes on the next episode. But yeah, I would say the real opportunity, you know, it really continues to be in bonds. And this is just something that, again, investors would have to go back a long, long time to see 
there really being a significant opportunity in bonds. I mean, just most people over the last 15 years, if you've been investing, you haven't experienced inflation, you haven't experienced any real rates of return from fixed income. So it's just been this forgotten asset class that people really don't know about. I mean, I teach these retirement 101 classes all over Southern California. And when I ask people their understanding of the bond market, I mean, it's crickets, of course, nobody understands. And why would they? They were not really the best place to be. So but today, again, just thinking you can loan your money to the US government, the most credit worthy borrower on the planet, and they will guarantee to not only pay you all your money back, but about a 5% rate of return over the next 10 years. Um, it's pretty incredible. But, you know, and and look, we love our short-term T-bills. You know, many people are buying those T-bills and why wouldn't you? You know, money market accounts, short-term treasuries, giving you that 5.2%, whatever it is, you're getting that 5% and it's it's a much shorter contract, right? Some of these are money markets that are averaging seven to 30 days. Uh, maybe you get a T-bill that's six months, so really short-term loans and going to get all your money back plus this interest rate and, and and it feels really good. It's not going to get the job done, right? So when you build a constructive portfolio, we all know the math. 5% doesn't get it done, especially if that's paid in ordinary income. Um, so you have to have some kind of other rate of return driver. And I'll kind of get into that in a minute when it comes to bonds. But if I think of my money market accounts and savings accounts and CDs, you know, which a lot of investors like, you can look at the rate and say, I'm getting 5%, but let's just do the math. Okay. You have a 5% rate of return. Say I have a million dollars and I get 5%. Okay. I'm going to earn $50,000. Call it a money market account. Okay, so just to get my earnings over the next year, hoping that rates kind of stay higher for longer on that on that trend, and and I get that five percent the whole way through. Um, of course, you know if the Fed starts cutting, that your money market rates are going to come down as well. So we're going to have to pay taxes on that. Now, most of you are in California that are listening to this, so we're going to not only have to pay federal income taxes but state income taxes at our top marginal tax bracket. Okay, so on top of all the other income that you have coming in, everything else that you make on top of that is the interest that you get from your money market. So it's coming out at your top marginal tax bracket. So for some of you, that might be 50. For some of you, that might be 30, uh, state and federal combined. So let's just call it 30. Okay, so if I have $50,000 of earnings and I lose 30% of that, right, that's going to be $15,000 I'm going to have to pay in state and federal income taxes. So you're left with $35,000. Okay, not bad. What is inflation? It's 3.5%. So net of taxes, well, it depends on what you quote, right? So 35 to 4%. If it's three and a half net of inflation, net of taxes, you are best case equal, if not losing money. So having an investment strategy, and we're not talking about using your money. Of course, we're not talking about earning some rate of return to where you can actually take out some money. This is just to preserve your capital and kind of be equal to where you are today. And if you never touched your money and interest rates never went back down again, so obviously as a long-term strategy, now we can have a piece of our portfolio in those things, but be really careful how much you allocate to that type of strategy, just because understanding it is a best case, a go nowhere strategy, and arguably likely a go negative strategy. So yes, there's no volatility and risk, which is another thing that investors, if they have a long-term plan, they can get comfortable with. Uh, a famous saying by great investor, Rob Arnott, investing in what 
is profitable is rarely comfortable and investing in what is comfortable is rarely profitable. Uh, and so this is just, you got to understand there's some volatility. People want to know and time it right. When's the market going to hit its top? When's the market going to hit its bottom? When are rates going to hit their top or hit their bottom, which is going to drive bond prices? You have to be long-term thinking. Okay. We're going to look at market cycles. We're going to look at trends. And if you can kind of look at the data, have a long-term plan, you're going to be able to make longer term decisions that should be maybe in the short term, a little more uncomfortable, um, but in the long term, likely much more profitable. Uh, something that we've talked about a lot is when interest rates go down, the value of my bonds goes up. So if we are waiting for a recession, if we are waiting, waiting for inflation to normalize, um, if we are waiting for mortgages not to hold at 8%, if we can picture a world in the future, maybe an unknown time, but let's not say the not too distant future where rates could be lower, then we would want to invest in things that would benefit from that. Um, you know, the market's pricing in rate cuts next year from the Fed, yet earnings are supposed to continue to grow at 8% or, or 9%. Um, so it's kind of hard to see those two things happening at the same time. But anyway, we have different parts of our portfolio. We may long-term thinking and things like the stock market. We could look at moving averages and valuations. Things go up, they could be expensive and people could keep buying them, right? I mean, there's, there's trends in the stock market that can sustain above an expensive level and it could do the same thing on the downside. Over a long-term market cycle, you'll be fine. Um, but understand how these different parts of your, your portfolio work. I mean, just looking at those interest rates, you know, mortgages at 8%, you know, I think about this, okay? Many of you in COVID, like me, locked in uh, these really low interest rates on 30-year mortgages. Hopefully, you didn't get suckered into the 15. You got that long-term 30-year fixed mortgage rate. So I hear people coming in at, at in the 2%. Mine's 2.625, right? And and the interesting thing is that bank, I mean, who, the bank <laughs> lent us the money. We promised to pay this extremely absurdly low interest rate for 30 years. And then they sold it, you know? And you just kind of think, who would buy that? And then one of my clients joked to me recently and said, uh, yeah, Silicon Valley bank bought it. Uh, I said, oh, maybe. But anyway, so we can actually go buy those today and they trade at a discount. So if that bank hells my mortgage on their balance sheet, okay, and mortgage rates are at 8% today, if I borrowed $600,000 from them, that mortgage bond, right, a mortgage is a bond, that mortgage bond is on their balance sheet for about $300,000. It's worth about half of what I borrowed. And I'll kind of just show you this trend. So think of bonds, long-term bonds, mortgages or long-term bonds. So here's just a chart and look at what happened since 2020. If I go back over three years, this is essentially what's happened to the value of long-term bonds or the, what is a mortgage, a long-term bond. And it's down about 50%. Okay, this is what happens when when rates increase, right? Those bonds that are paying one or two percent, right? Now, you know, you go out and get a mortgage, is that seven or eight? And so those bonds are trading at really steep discounts. So imagine all those people that were paying down their mortgage at, you know, trying to pay down something that was worth six hundred thousand dollars, which today is worth three hundred thousand dollars. Put this another way. 
you can take the $600,000 you owe the bank and you can go invest in things like mortgages and bonds that are long-term that generate two, three times the interest that you're paying that bond. It could, it could not only pay your mortgage for you, but bring you a, a reasonable rate of return in excess of the interest that the bank is charging you. I mean, that's just simple math right now. You can go and take that same amount, or I could take roughly half the amount I owe the bank, the three. I would love to go buy that mortgage from the bank right now. I mean, wouldn't that be great? Shouldn't I just be able to walk over to the bank and say, listen, I know I borrowed 600 grand, but I know it's worth $300,000 on your balance sheet. Why don't I, why don't we settle up right now? I'll give you the 300. We'll rip this mortgage out. So unfortunately, banks don't do that, but they do sell these mortgages and they are on Wall Street and I can go invest in mortgages that essentially I could put $300,000 in something that would generate the yield of this 30-year bond that, that I borrowed from the bank. So lots of opportunities if you just look at this really exciting, new, attractive uh, asset class called bonds and fixed income and mortgages and all that stuff. So, and then, and then, you know, if rates continue to go up, you might see the value of those bonds continue to decline, although at a lesser rate than you did on a move from like one to 5%. But at some point, if you foresee a world where mortgages are south of 8%, when you see the federal funds going to, the Fed's going to cut rates, when you see the 10-year treasuries like going to normalize and equal about the expectation of inflation, which is typically what the 10-year treasury does, then we might have a really good opportunity because the inverse of this line that I'm showing you on long-term treasuries happens when rates cut. So when do I want to buy? When things are low. When do I want to sell? When things are high. Really hard thing for investors to do is to sell the thing that's worked out well, that the price has gone up, and to buy the thing that has not done well, where the price has gone down. And I know we really want immediate results when we make plans in our portfolios and we make trades, but, you know, investing is a long-term game and you're just going to need to have a long-term plan and some grit and confidence in the plan um, to, to capitalize on, on these things that are profitable, that are, that are rarely comfortable. So, um, you know, and if you look at the bond king, right, Jeffrey Goodlock, right, I think uh, has, has worn that crown for a little bit. And if you look at his flagship fund and, and what many like him are doing is they're buying these long duration mortgages, right? Kind of the same exact example. You know, I borrowed $600,000. It's now worth $300,000. Let's go pay, instead of paying off my mortgage, I'm going to go buy that one uh, and get that 8% yield. So lots of opportunities continue to be in fixed income as well as other alternative asset classes. So, you know, when we look at long-term histories of the stock market, you see periods of time where stocks and bonds could trade relatively flat uh, for, for extended period of time. So you might need to include other things in your portfolio that are called alternative investments. So here at Presidio and on the Presidio perspective, those are other things that we're going to bring to you. Uh, we, of course, have our uh, monthly webinar series where we're going to feature some of these industry experts to help kind of educate us about what else might be out there that's, um, you know, a little bit different than how we've been investing in this low inflation, low interest rate world. So thanks for joining me today on the Presidio Perspective. I hope you found these points to be valuable. Uh, don't make any short-term foolish decisions. Get your plan, get the data, and understand what your long-term plan is. You're going to do just fine as we ride through this difficult, challenging market and time that we're in. We'll see you next time in the Presidio Perspective. Be well until then. Mm -hmm.